You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, yet again, my co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Hello, and coming you to, to you today from the law offices of Acumen Law Corporation in downtown Vancouver, where we don't normally record. I think the last time we recorded this podcast in the law offices of downtown Vancouver of Acumen Law Corporation was after the LSLAP uh, fundraising gala like two years ago. Yeah, so the main reason we don't do it is because despite the fact that we have double-paned windows, there's still some traffic noise, and my chair squeaks. Your chair squeaks, and yeah. Also, you know, we have to go to the location of Brazen Bull Creative. In order to record most of the time, and yeah. the sound quality is very good there, and so forth. Because we have a studio. Exactly. <laughs> so it's a good sound. Um, Paul, did you hear about the big fire in uh, Vancouver today? You mentioned fire, but I didn't hear anything about it, and I've been so busy I haven't had a chance to look at the news. It's actually part of the reason why we're recording from the downtown offices oh, okay. of Acumen I was Law. Wondering, I was wondering why that was. So. Yeah. What, well, uh, what's going on? So there was a big fire at the intersection of Maine and Kingsway today that's basically closed the intersection. So I can't get home because that's my route home. Yeah. I mean, I could go another way, but it's just too painful at this time of day. So I thought I'll stay here. Um, so it started at about 10.30 a.m. Um, a, it closed the intersection at Maine and Broadway um, plus uh, Kingsway between 7th Avenue and Broadway. So that huge, massive East Vancouver intersection all shut down. All buses, the 3, 8, 9, 19, and 99, all rerouted because they all go through there. Yeah. Main was closed between 7th and 10th Avenue. So massive, massive massive impact to the public. And this was a suspected arson, robbery, and assault. No. Yeah, some one That's person <laughs> one person has already been arrested for arson. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I think rumor is that it's a uh, it's a situation of a failing business wanting to get out. Oh, you so know. like an insurance fire. Like an insurance fire, or alternatively, the owner of the building wanting to get rid of the tenants, burn it down, and turn it into condos. Huh. So that's the that's the thing. So I thought maybe we could talk about the driving law implications of these types of arsons because we've seen a couple of arsons lately. Um, there was this one, uh, well, alleged arsons. There was the one that happened at the New Westminster Pier, and there was also potentially I don't know if they've ruled it an arson yet or not the fire on Camby, at like 16th and Camby. A couple weeks ago. I don't remember that one. All three of these shut down traffic on very busy commuter streets for hours, if not days. Yes. Significant amount of damage and business interruption to people who travel those routes for their business. Yes. 
what are the driving law implications of having committed an arson like that? Like, could you be liable for the costs associated with your interruption of somebody else's ability to use that commuter route? Well, it's reasonably foreseeable that if you're uh, like a, a company or an individual that you're going to be inconvenienced as mm -hmm. a result of the fire. If you're a company, you might be able to calculate the damages. If you're an individual, you may still be able to calculate the damages of the lost time. Um, but imagine if, you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a lawsuit for something like that. Um, first of all, there's no point in suing somebody who has no money. And if it's an arsonist, they, you know, sometimes there are people with difficulties in life and no money. Sure. Uh, but um, it would seem to me that it's a duty of care, a breach of the duty, damage resulting, and reasonably foreseeable. Yes. I think, I mean, TransLink for sure has a, a complaint that they are out. They've had to reroute these buses. That delays their schedule. That impacts their, you know, their entire business. Um, courier companies that use those major routes for saving time and traffic. Um, even people who need to frequent the, the surrounding businesses um, to drop things off or pick things up. Sure. If you're, if you're driving, your, you have a truck and you drive a truck route through there and you're, you're delayed for an hour and a half. And this sort of, <clears throat> maybe, maybe I'm being a bit tangential here, but this brings me to something that has irked me for a long time. And that's the BC Victims of Crime Act. Because in British Columbia, we have a piece of legislation that like gives you rights if you're the victim of a crime. Every single commuter, myself today, who is affected by these arsons... Is a victim of crime? Is a victim of the crime. Yes, the definition in the Victims of Crime Act in BC is victim means an individual who suffers in relation to an offense physical or mental injury or economic loss as a result of an act or omission that forms the basis of the offense or significant emotional trauma and is an individual against whom the offense was perpetuated but does not include a person uh, listed within the definition of justice system personnel, um, like, you know, cops and things like that. But, I mean, I haven't suffered economic loss. Um, well, maybe you have because you have to reorganize your day. The economic loss might not be significant, <clears throat> but yeah. it may be an economic loss. But then you have the right as a victim to file a victim impact statement, to have that considered by the judge, to seek restitution as part of the sentencing. And the Crown has to take into consideration your views as a victim of a crime. I mean, think so about somebody's that. A, yeah, but somebody has to be arrested. Somebody has to be stopped. Well, somebody, somebody has, has been arrested in this one. This today. one. I believe they've made an arrest in the new Westminster Pier file. I don't know. I can't remember. Okay. But still, I mean, I don't think a lot of people think about the sort of wide-ranging impact that these offenses have on individuals, even just on traffic and how that actually puts them at a disadvantage by creating like a huge host of potential victims of their crime. Well, you think about it actually, you know, in an impaired driving case where you cause an accident and it ends up holding up traffic, all of those people who are held up in traffic theoretically are victims of the crime on the basis of that legislation and that definition. And every one of those people could submit 
um, for compensation. Well, I know at one point I was talking to Chris Carter, who was on the podcast in one yes, of the very early episodes. Yes, we talked about that a long time ago. We talked about suing ICBC for emotional distress from seeing the after effects of an accident. And that, in theory, you could have a claim. Well, it's, I mean, there's damage resulting. It all flows from somebody's negligence. Yeah. So it's reasonably foreseeable that you will be damaged as a result of it. So, now my next question is... <coughs> Does ICBC have any obligation here to pay out a claim to somebody who's impacted by this and then seek rest, like compensation from the perpetrator of the crime if it's driving related? Yeah, but the, the initial incident isn't an insurable thing. Sure. But I think it's only if it's an insurable. Well, if you look at the some of the photos, there's a car that's in the parkade you know the parkade um by the billiard hall with the, the cool koi painted on it there's a car yeah, sitting I in that, that parkade that's that. like 50 percent submerged in water well that's a submerged in water as a result of the the fire hoses the fire hoses yeah but it's still that's an icbc it is an icbc claim at that point yep connects it to icbc and so now ICBC has to pay for damage to any vehicles as a result of the fire trucks and the actions the fire department took. Hmm. I wonder if ICBC will come back after the fire department to say that you were negligent in the manner in which you hosed this down and it was I unnecessary to soak those cars. don't think that the fire department has any liability when they're trying to put out like a massive fire. Well, they might have some liability in certain circumstances, but I don't think ICBC is coming after the fire department here. Okay. Well, anyway, it's just a thought um, that, you know, the, the implications of this also engage ICBC. Speaking of ICBC, Paul, the election is tomorrow. It's actually in two days, but tomorrow because... That reminds podcast. me, i got to get my dad to the polls. Uh, hopefully there's still an advanced poll open tomorrow, Friday, yeah, I'm today. Sure. Today, Whatever. tomorrow. So my uh, my uh, daughter had a uh, uh, election in their class. Oh, who did they and, vote for? Uh, no, it was it was actually quite interesting because they the teacher contacted all of the candidates, um, and the Green candidate, the NDP candidate, David Eby, and um, were contacted to come, and the Liberal candidate uh, in the riding. I think his name's Mark Bowen. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Um, he didn't respond or didn't want to come on, didn't want to have a Zoom meeting with the kids uh, in uh, grade four. But the other candidates did, including David Eby. And David Eby was, uh, was questioned by the kids about various different things, um, including uh, fines for various different traffic offenses. Really? Uh, and in the end, uh, the vote came, and I just got the email a few minutes ago, and um, the... Uh, it was a split, but the NDP came out on top, Green second, and uh, the Liberals came out uh, dismally last. Well, they didn't have the opportunity to be heard because they decided not to play. Yeah, they they refused to come, so as a consequence. I apologize to our listeners for all the binging and beeping. Paul doesn't know how to mute any of his numerous devices. I've just muted two of them. <laughs> um well, that's interesting. I mean, I guess climate change is very important to children. Yeah. So it was, uh, I think, 
40, 39%, 39% voted for uh, the NDP, 37 for the Greens, and the balance for the Liberals. Really? That's still a pretty high balance for the Liberals, for like not having heard from Well, them. yeah, I know, but the kids also have all the discussions that they have at home, and so some families might be uh, heavily invested in the Liberals, and that could be the reason. Right, right. Okay. So one never knows. We're talking about a... So, uh, so what did the candidates have to say about traffic ticket fines? Like, did you cross-examine your child to get us this information? Uh, I asked uh, my child, and she was reluctant to tell me too much. But, um, you know, I, I thought it was impressive that the kids got to ask the uh, attorney general questions about things that concern them, including traffic issues that they've observed. I wish that you'd told me that this was happening because I totally would have gone for like a Drew Barrymore, like never been kissed type situation, except like not about having never been kissed, but like pretending to go back to school and being way too old, but trying to fit in, you know, like I'm the cool new kid who's just really weirdly tall for grade four. You would have faked it to try yeah. and get in there so you could ask some questions. Oh, hi, Mr. Eby. Um, yes. Kyla, I think you get enough. I think you get enough. You get enough. <laughs> Exposure in the world. You didn't need to be exposed as a as a fake grade four student. I thought that you know we'd be fun. Uh, I suppose. Yeah, you're right. If I had questions, I could just invite David E. B. back on the podcast. You, yeah, you could do that, or you could uh, you could direct message him on Twitter or quote tweet him or something like that, and he probably would reply. Although he doesn't, uh, he's not generally on Twitter when the government's. Um, it's only during the election that he's on. So when he's, you know, the rest of the time in government, he doesn't seem to, he doesn't abide by the Twitter rules of but engagement. Election day, it is tomorrow officially for when the listeners are listening to this podcast. We, when they called the election, did a bit of a rundown of where the parties stand on driving law issues based on what they let out at the time. We've had some updates, and I think it's time that we do a re-review of where the candidates are on driving law issues. Election special, boom, boom, boom. Get out the vote, you've probably already voted, but if you haven't, now you'll know. I did a mail-in ballot, so it's too late for me, but please give me your update because I, I haven't been paying attention to driving issues in the election. Well. Except Andrew Wilkinson, you know, standing in the back of uh, rented pickup trucks speaking to uh, a field filled with trucks supplied by local car dealerships around the province. Yes. Yes. But he's going to knock off the PST. Except on your Lamborghini. <clears throat> well, I don't have a Lamborghini, but I... No, nah, I'm not in the market for one. Anyway, he's not knocking off the PST because he's... The Liberals are not going to form the government. But in any event, let's get back to it. Tell me what driving law things came up during well, the course of the campaign. Andrew Wilkinson is going to open up the market for competition on insurance. Yes. So instead of privatizing ICBC, just allow everybody else to compete with ICBC. Yes. And <coughs> interestingly, I found the Trial Lawyers Association of British Columbia and many lawyers who are trial lawyers, including Eric McGracken, good friend of the podcast, um, are staunchly against the NDP being re-elected because of this whole no-fault system that's going to be brought in. But has anybody ever noticed that neither Wilkinson nor Fristineau, on behalf of the Greens, have said anything about getting rid of the plans that David Eby has to change how 
personal injury cases are dealt with. They've said, oh yeah, we'll have privatization and we'll get rid of that. Um, you know, we'll they haven't it up. given. They haven't thrown any bones out. To they the, have not said that they're going to make the trial process more fair. They've it, not said that they're going to roll back any of these changes nope. with respect to uh, capping nope. uh, payments and uh, and their list of uh, payouts of per injuries per injury. Your body body part count sheet. Yep. It's it's insane. Like I think people believe that the liberals would change it, but I they've got there's no reason to believe that. There's no reason to believe that, and there's I mean, no the liberals reason ran for it them into to the dumpster it. fire. There's no reason for them to change it because if it's going to make ICBC more money, then they can continue to raid ICBC's coffers like they did before. Well, the other thing is the NDP is the one who take the political hit for it because they're the ones who made it happen. Yeah. So the liberals don't even have to worry about the political hit. No, if it's a massive failure, they can go. Well, look, this was the NDP. We didn't, we didn't bring this law in. This was done by the NDP before we were elected. I mean, the NDP is getting a lot of traction on doing that in this election. Everything that people hate, Wilkins was talking about, they're like, yeah, but you, y'all did that. Well, it's uh, fascinating because Wilkinson has not really made any clear split between his time with Christy Clark, his time with Gordon Campbell, and now... He doesn't want to back away from any of that time. He doesn't want to sort of repudiate any of those bad things, money laundering, duffel bags of cash, uh, and uh, ruining ICBC and, and, and all of that. Um, he just kind of wants to drift and deny those things, while at the same time, the entire time that the BC Liberals were in power under Gordon Campbell and Christy Clark, they, every election, said, remember the horrible times under the NDP and the economy was bad and fast ferries. Yeah, fast fast ferries, ferries, economy, casino gate, fast ferries. And they, they, you know, they basically managed to stay in government for 16 years or thereabouts, whatever it was, uh, on that basis of just, you know, speaking of the NDP's governance in the 1990s. Yet now, when it's, uh, you know, the NDP points at the liberal years, they're like, oh, well, yeah, but we've changed. But they haven't changed at all, because it's Andrew Wilkinson. It's, it's still Andrew Wilkinson. He was a cabinet minister under Christy Clark, uh, responsible for some of these things. He was part of that group, part you know, of that party. Someone whispered to me before the last provincial election, mm. um, when I was staunchly campaigning against Suzanne Anton, because she had, you know, sued me. <laughs> and I'm in her writing. Uh, the whole thing just made me upset. Um, but somebody took me aside who was in the know, I'll never betray who it was, but and said, Kyla, I don't know that you want to be doing this because right now she's the AG, but who's coming after her if she's not reelected is worse. You mean for the BC Liberals? Like the next AG that they would appoint, Suzanne Anton lost her seat. It was going to be Andrew Wilkinson. Andrew Wilkinson. Yeah. And they were like, "It's worse. Like we don't want that." No, of course it was. And it was be like Andrew five Wilkinson. minutes with Wilkinson as AG, and it was worse in those five minutes. Yeah, it, it was a matter of weeks. So it was like a hellscape. Yeah, it was a matter of it was a matter <laughs> it was a of judicial weeks. hellscape. It was. Uh, it was after the uh, election when the. Um, BC Liberals were trying to hang on to uh, trying to hang on to uh, the uh, governance, and before the NDP and the Greens got together and 
and force them out. And Christy Clark had her showdown there with the lieutenant governor. Yep. But in that period of time, that short few weeks, uh, Andrew Wilkinson was the attorney general, and we saw nothing but bad things. Mm -hmm. I forgot all about that. I'm glad you reminded me. That's why I don't trust Andrew Wilkinson <clears throat> to make things right with ICBC. So there you go. We've resolved that thing. Uh, maybe we'll get back to that afterward. We're going to take a very short break and come right back. All right, that was a very short break because we've got other things happening in the office. <laughs> Somebody comes waving at the door, you've got to take a break. And this will happen again probably because I'm waiting for a call. But um, we weren't quite done talking about the election. No, because we also have to talk about the NDP. I mean, well, the Greens, like what, what have they said about driving law? I don't know. I haven't really been paying attention to the Green campaigns. I assume carbon tax would go up. Yeah, carbon, carbon tax works and I... Can't blame Car them for wanting tax. to raise the carbon tax. Table I'm tax concerned about I'm concerned about electricity going up uh, under the greens as well uh, because I don't know how they're going to produce it. They don't want dams. Maybe we're they'll not, stop selling our power to the U.S. Could be, that could be. Um, but uh, I'm sure they're generally if Trump supportive is reelected. We should stop selling our power to U the U.S. Yeah, if Trump is re-elected, we have a different nightmare to deal with mm -hmm. um, because there's nothing to hold him back because there's nothing to no. there's nothing because he, he can't be re-elected again. Although he, you know, believes that maybe he can steal a, change a third change of constitution so he could be re-elected. But um, in any event, the uh, let's talk about the NDP. Yeah, so NDP have not really made any driving law related announcements other than. The kind of twisted thing that they did about the insurance rebates where they said oh you're gonna get an insurance rebate because of all the money we saved in the pandemic well yeah they've held that out basically if it's you're, like you're re-elected we'll you, give you thirty dollars yeah and i don't trust them and they yeah they haven't said what it would be yeah. i don't trust them for no. most people not it's like 30 bucks yeah. not for a minute do i trust them on that one i note that they've continued to run throughout the election campaign this ad on Twitter and Instagram mm -hmm. and probably other spots that I'm unaware of about the new Doring fine of $368. It's very important. And that, of course, is government advertising during the course of an election, which is something that concerns me greatly. I don't think it should have, there should be any government advertising unless it's a pressing health concern. COVID is a good example, or the overdose crisis, another good example. I would have no problem with that. Uh, but the Doring thing is, to me, a subtle um, call to try and uh, keep green voters voting for the NDP, cyclists. It's still trying to appeal to the cyclist community. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this is, uh, once again, a government, and I, it doesn't matter which government it is that does it, uh, using taxpayer money to advertise in a manner that promotes the incumbent party using our tax money in the, an election or shortly before an election. And this is why I sued the Liberals. I was unsuccessful, but why I sued the Liberals years ago. And I'm not going to sue the NDP because this is not nearly as blatant. But it's still happening, and they're still running those ads. And as far as I'm concerned, it's still an ad to try and appeal to the cycling community, which would maybe normally support the Greens. Yes. So, BCNDP. 
hypocrisy, carrot dangling, BC liberals, untrustworthy, and I don't like Andrew Wilkinson. I just don't like Well, him. and bad management last time. Oh, my bad God. Bad management last time. They were in, in uh, pr particularly with Christy Clark, but uh, Andrew Wilkinson had a, a major role in her government, so. Yeah. Um, shifting gears away from the election, I thought one thing that was bizarre today, I don't know if you followed any of this, was the city council in Vancouver was considering a motion to allow free parking for veterans, which like would be super great if there were lots of veterans who would qualify for free parking. There are 12,000 people living in Vancouver who have veteran status, but of those 12,000 people with veteran status, only 350 have a veteran license plate, which is how you would get your parking for free. So you'd have to get the veteran license plate, but they could do yeah. that, presumably. But how many of them drive? How many of them don't drive? Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of them probably don't drive. And a lot of them probably don't need the free parking because the driving that they do is like, you know, especially for our older veterans, but they from could home just totally, to the grocery store. They could totally clog up downtown if 12,000 of them oh, wanted yeah. to come and 12, park Oh, yeah. 12,000 veterans. <laughs> decide to come downtown and park for free. So... But even more bizarre was city council was like, yeah, let's do this. Meanwhile, staff at the city of Vancouver was like, uh, no, 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 this is a bad idea. So they commissioned a report from staff. I don't know why they do this and then not follow staff's recommendations, but staff said rec recommended four things. That there are no additional free parking provisions granted to vehicles displaying veteran plates or identified as belonging to current serving members of the Canadian forces that they remove current provisions for free parking for veterans during the week leading up to Remembrance Day, but retaining Remembrance Day from 2021 on, onwards. So right now, veterans can park for free for the week leading up to November 11th. What do you need it for a week leading up to it? There's events that they have to attend, so they're well, going out this more. Year. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but council requests that staff report back with a recommended city policy that will guide future requests for free or subsidized parking for individuals or members of organizations, and that council direct the city manager to inform the Vancouver Park Board of council's decisions on free parking provisions so that veterans are current serving members of the Canadian Forces so that they can consider similar actions for park board controlled facilities. So they're like, don't do this, scale back what you're already doing, and give us a framework if you're going to start creating special classes of people who get to park for free so we can actually figure out who's allowed to park for free and who should be eligible to park for free in the future. So, Vancouver City Council did what they gonna do and veterans get free parking. Crazy. They just like completely tossed. I don't know why veterans should get free parking and people in essential service jobs like ourselves should have to actually pay out there working, working for a living, having to pay well, for parking. You know what, Paul, this actually brings me to a bone. I'm I'm I got to pick. No, 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 no. You raised it and now I'm here for it. Parking at the courthouses should be free for lawyers. It is absolutely absurd that you go to so many courthouses at Crown Council have a reserved parking lot. You go to Surrey, reserved parking lot for Crown Council, big parking lot, limited number of stalls for the courthouse, and if you can't get one of those stalls, you have to pay to park and walk a long distance to get there. And you're working 
there. It's your job to be there. Well, it's, a, it's also a 10B issue. It's a right to counsel issue. You know, your lawyer has to get there and, and it is expensive to have a lawyer. You're trying to figure out ways to provide access to justice and to make it more inexpensive. You want to make sure that people can be represented. Why? One of the things that judges often complain is that it's that much more difficult to deal with self-represented individuals than it is to deal with people who are represented. So if you can facilitate people having a lawyer there, great. But if the lawyer is spending 40 minutes trying to find a parking spot, yep. um, then you are impeding access to justice, making it harder for lawyers to get out there and do well, it. And you know, lots of times I could do two or three things in a courthouse in a day for three clients. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I know that I'm going to have to spend half an hour looking for parking. Especially you go to New West, there's very few parking stalls. Mm. They do jury selection and on jury selection days, it's only for people who are part of the jury pool plus the judges. Um, it's, 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 it's absurd. And to park for a day in New West, if you have a trial, is $15, which maybe to a lot of people isn't a lot of money, but if you're you know doing the legal aid hustle, that's a huge chunk of what you're getting paid for that day. If you're doing a provincial court trial, that's like 10%. Big money. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. And if you park on the street in New West, uh, it's and you end up stuck in court, you have to move your car, right? Yep. Uh, the New West parking is the most aggressive parking enforcement in the in the province, I've found. And uh, you'll get a ticket if you're uh, second over or if you, you know, re-meter in that location. 222 Main Street, same thing. There's no parking. If you're there all day, you have to park at a lot that's like two and a half blocks away. You have to walk through... You know, not the nice part of town. Not a, not a pleasant neighborhood carrying no. your bags and stuff that and you, you worry about somebody grabbing from you. Catcalled or heckled by people on the street. It's it's not you know, just heckled. I mean, you get you get approached sometimes in very threatening ways. Yep, I used you know I'd say like ten years ago when I started working for you, I had no problem down there. There was lots of free parking that the city's taken away. Um, there was the Community was different down there, and I felt safe because yep. everybody was so nice. Doesn't feel as and safe And it's anymore. not now. It's not like that now. The whole fentanyl thing has made it dangerous and scary. And the well, whatever the reason, I mean, the the there's more. There we're seeing a lot more crime in the streets. Yeah, we're seeing a lot more um, people so who Ramina are. Ramina Daya, the reporter for Global. She got, she was standing on the street today holding her cell phone and some guy ran up to her and ripped it out of her hands. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That is awful. It's horrible. And this is the type of stuff that for, for a lawyer, you've got your briefcase, you've got your books, you've got your purse, you've got everything that you've got to carry. You're walking down the street, sometimes in the dark, coming at the end of the court day or at the beginning of the court day at this time of year, and you're at risk. It's... I don't know. I think that government should be providing free parking for lawyers. I agree. There you go. That's our election issue. Free parking for lawyers at courthouses. Fair enough. All right. Paul, it is your favorite time of the week. Oh, it's my favorite time of the podcast, for sure. My oh. favorite time of the week is Friday at 5 o'clock. Oh, okay. Well, that's like... The time where I'm like, I'm going to go to bed in an hour. Me too. <laughs> it's time for the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. Ridiculous Driver of the Week. 
ridiculous driver of the week. <laughs> Woohoo! I know what this one is. This I know because you so already wrote about it. In your, I did. Well, uh, it was so good. Weird and Wacky Wednesdays. It it's, is so good. It's so good. And I, I still have one major question to ask. Okay. Well, I want to know your, your question. So our ridiculous driver of the week is a naked teenager in Kansas wearing nothing but ranch dressing who went into a business, caused a bunch of damage, ran out, stole a car, and drove it into a gas station. Well, he drove it into a post. In a gas station. In a gas station, yeah. Yeah. So he's naked, except for being covered with ranch dressing. Now, my question, I mean, aside from the fact that, okay, I did some crazy things as a teen, um, (laughs) and I'm laughing because of some of the things that I did, but... Um, Did you ever cover yourself in ranch dressing naked? Don't answer that. I don't want to know. Yeah, you pro- you don't. I, I, I mean, I'm a little bit disturbed visualizing this, but my exactly. question, my question still is, who figured out that it was ranch dressing? Who tasted it to know that it was ranch dressing? Can it could have been smell ranch dressing. It could have been. It could have been something else. It could have been creamy cucumber. Mm. <laughs> creamy cucumber dressing when we had it at Bull Uncle's Family Food and Fun Restaurant, and I was the guy who maintained the salad bar. Um, it was um, it was the the one uh, type of dressing that I always felt was almost pornographic. Yeah, creamy cucumber. I'm disturbed just by you talking about this. Anyway, ranch versus creamy cucumber. Somebody tested it to know. I, you know what? I don't think that the type of salad dressing that you're covered with is an essential element of any of the offenses this boy is charged with. Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see what the evidence is when it comes out, when it goes to court, when they run a jury, jury trial. <laughs> Covered in a substance, to wit, ranch dressing. I mean, it might be there might be some sort of um, some sort of offense for him being naked in that jurisdiction. Maybe he's got a defense because of the ranch dressing. Well, I think the reason he was naked was that he was on some drugs. Oh well, he might have a defense there. How do we know that it wasn't? He wasn't affected by the ranch dressing. It was an allergic reaction. Exactly. To his clothes. Exactly. See, we've already built the defense. He's all we've already. Uh, he has a defense. I am just so. really hoping that one of our colleagues in Kansas gets uh, gets this. There's a great gets law firm in Kansas with a real good sense of humor. John Thurston's firm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They that would should. Be great. They should take this on. The um, we. Got to know so many wonderful lawyers in the United States, including the uh, lawyer who represented Stormy Daniels. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll be John Thurston's film, firm rather, handling this. That would be just wonderful. Ranch dressing case. Well, that is our podcast, Paul. Is it? Seems like we wrapped it up quickly. Yeah, well, time flies by when you're interrupted by all your other obligations in the world. There you go, I suppose. That's that's how I usually end up going, oh God, it's Thursday, I've got to record the podcast. Kyla does some pro bono clinic on Thursdays, so she's taking calls and we stop for her to take those calls and then there's always other things going on. It's a non-stop so barrel So usually of we're starting later in the evening. But this is good. So if you have a driving law related issue, Give us a call, 604-685-8889, or find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law, where maybe we'll have some election results and some updates on the driving law-related election promises. Yes, actually, one quick note is that we will not necessarily know who 
uh, is our premier and who has the government Saturday night because mail-in ballots could take some time. Yeah. So we'll see. We may have results. We may not. Yeah. Okay. See you next week. Thank <laughs> you.